nothing to do. Come to church, study the Bible, right? So, with that being said, it's January. It's the beginning of the year. I know you guys have read your Bible every single day this year, right? Yeah, all right, okay. And you, you're also working on not lying anymore, right? Yeah, okay. Well, if you haven't, if, if you haven't started reading your Bible every day because you just haven't found the plan that's for you, you just haven't found the right one, and that's why you haven't started yet, well, then have I got the product for you? Let's just have an infomercial for a second. No, but seriously, we have a little 10-week Ignite devotional Bible study that you can follow and do for 10 weeks. It really, it's, and it's only scheduled for four days of reading per week, so as not to overwhelm you. But if you're ambitious and you can do five, six, or seven days a week, as would be the expectation for a grown adult, then you can do it in less than 10 weeks. But if you're interested, these are back on the table back there. There's only about 20, 25 of them, so don't take one if you're not going to actually use it. We can print more, uh, but that's all I have right now. So um, if that's something you're interested in, it'll just take you through four days of reading per week, um, and basically it's, it's all about who is Jesus. Um, this will be a really good Bible study to do with your lost friend, if you could convince them to do a Bible study with you, and you guys could read a couple times a week, get together, talk about it on the weekend. That would be a good, really good way to witness to your lost friend, wouldn't it? By asking them if they'd be interested in studying the Bible with you. Um, even if you're not lost, this is a really good study, because it's going to take you all the way from the birth of Christ all the way up to his death, and even after his resurrection, and so it'll be a really good study for you to do. So, if you haven't camped out on a study uh, reading plan for the year, grab this on your way out today, and start reading tonight, really, because you could still get your four days in before the, right, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, yeah, you get your four days in this week, and then start over on Monday, and you don't even have to take time off, right? So, I'll ask you guys how your reading was next week, okay? Be prepared to give me an answer. Okay, awkward silence. You guys are like, I ain't doing that. Okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to preach harder then. You got you to gotta convince you to read your Bible every day, right? That's why we're here. That's, that's what youth group is. So we started a Bible study last week that we're calling Brainwashed. And does anybody remember why we're calling it Brainwashed in your own words? Really no wrong answer here. And, and well, unless it's something ridiculously out in left field. But, huh? Anybody? Brainwashed. We talked about Mar uh, Marilyn Manson. We talked about Charles Manson. <laughs> we did not talk about Marilyn Manson. <laughs> talked about cults. Talked about the government. Come on, nobody? We're talking about brainwashing because the, the definition of brainwashing is swaying your opinion or your beliefs so that it will change how you act, your belief system, your philosophy of thinking, without you even knowing it, without you even noticing that it's happening. And there's so many examples in history of brainwashing. We talked about cults. We talked about oppressive government regimes, all sorts of things. But then what we saw last night was really the Christian has three different enemies, which are the devil, the world, and the flesh. Yeah, the flesh and the world. Good job. And those three enemies really are ran by the enemy, the devil. And what he's trying to do is to brainwash you so that either A, you'll never get saved, or B, if you are saved, you'll never actually do anything for the Lord. That's his goal. That's his job. And we saw who he was. We identified our enemy last week, and then we saw his strategy. Who, who did we see uh, th the devil take down? You guys remember? 
Eve, right. So we went back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, and we saw the devil working against Eve, and we saw his strategy to get her to fall into sin, and ultimately that is the strategy that he has used all throughout the ages. What he, first of all, said that he was more subtle than any beast of the field. Remember, we talked about Satan is subtle. He's more subtle than any other enemy that there is. He used questioning. He got her to question God's word and what he actually said. And then after he got her questioning God's word, then he outright lied to her and said that the opposite of God's word was true. She believed it, and then he appealed to her flesh and her senses. And when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was good to the eyes, and that it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. He appealed to her senses, appealed to the flesh, and then she fell, and she sinned. And it all started by him sneakily entering in subtly and her not even realizing what was happening. That is the definition of brainwashing. And the reason we're doing this study is so that you can be aware of the enemy and his tactics so that you can either prevent them, or if you're in the middle of it happening, you can stop And get right with the Lord and hopefully prevent yourself from being completely whisked away into a whole completely different train of thinking that's against or contrary to the Bible. Now, this week, now that we understand who our enemy is, and if you weren't here last week, I know it was just a really a two-minute summary of our message, but you can go online and and listen to it. I I suggest that you do. If you're going to be with us the rest of this series and you weren't here last week, go listen to that because that really is the setup for what we're going to talk about tonight and the next several weeks. Because now that we've identified our enemy and we understand what he's trying to do, I want to take a look tonight at the world specifically. The title of the message is The World Versus the Word. And that'll make a lot more sense as we go. But I want us to examine the world specifically because the world is what the enemy is using, what the devil is using to try and get to you, to try and brainwash you. Do you guys know, I'm going to switch gears here for just a second. Do you guys know what a litmus test is? Have you guys done any of that in like biology or probably not biology, but like chemistry class or science class? Have you guys done a little litmus paper test? Yeah? What, What is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you take a little strip of paper, it's called litmus paper or something like that. You dip it in a, in a chemical or a liquid, and it, depending on the color that it turns, it tells you how acidic or how basic. <laughs> so really, that is the adjective form of base, though, isn't it? Or how basic. Um, alkaline? That's, I don't know. Either way, it's going to tell you how acidic or not acidic I- that is because the paper will turn a certain color, and you can measure the color to, to reveal how acidic that liquid actually is. So tonight, as we study this and, and we look at the, what the Bible says about the world and how the world tries to sway you and affect you and impact you and influence you, tonight is going to be a bit of a litmus test for you. Because what I want to do is use the Bible, use God's Word as a litmus paper and dunk it in you. And when we pull it out, we're going to see what color it is. Now, we're not going to be, that was a really weird illustration. And, and I promise you, we're not going to be like having show of hands be, to see who's, you know, the most carnal Christian in here. I promise you. But what I, I want for tonight to be is a litmus test to yourself. To reveal to you how much the world has influenced you without you maybe even realizing it. If anything, it's just... To, ex- to reveal to yourself, not to all of us. You need to realize, because maybe you don't even realize how much the world has gotten to you. But I hope tonight, through this message and through our study of God's word, that it will reveal some things to you, because each and every one of us has some things that the world has impacted that we need to be able 
to give to the Lord and say, Lord, I, 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 I need you to help me in this area. But you can't know what you need to give to the Lord if you're not aware of what the world and what the enemy has already started to do in your life, right? So let's, let's just go to Lord in prayer really quick before we begin this, this study and ask him to reveal that to us. Lord, I come to you tonight, and I just, I just beg you, Lord, on behalf of everyone in this room, that you would reveal to us each individually through your word. Reveal to us what needs to change in our lives. What has the enemy, what has the world established in our lives already started to influence our thinking to make us mo- look more like it rather than you? Father, we don't want to look like the world. We want to look more like your word. And so I pray that tonight would be the starting point for each of us to determine in our hearts that we're going to look more like you. And regardless of what the enemy has already done in our lives, we can always decide, we can always make a decision to stop and turn and repent and start heading back towards you, towards the right track. So Lord, show us tonight what each of us needs to see through your word. And I pray that we would make decisions to start looking more like you. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I want to introduce to you tonight a verse that will be the theme of tonight, but also the theme of the rest of the series. Uh, It's a simple verse. It's a camp memory verse, and it's probably a verse that most of you are familiar with. But it's a very very simple verse, but it's also a very complex verse. And so it's going to take us several weeks to unpack everything in it, both doctrinally and practically, about how we can apply this to our lives. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 on the screen. And, and like I said, if you've been in Igniter, this church, any length of time you've heard this before, and maybe you memorize it for camp every year. But just read along with me, and if you have memorized it, just try to read the words, and, and don't, just me- don't just repeat it in your head verbatim. Think about what it's saying. What God says through the Apostle Paul here is, and be not conformed to this world. That's the phrase we're going to parse tonight. But, Rather, right, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the, the, the contrasting ideas, the contrasting philosophies that we want to see through the rest of this series. But for tonight, be not conformed to this world. That's what God warns us. Conform means to be made to resemble or to yield to something so much that eventually it becomes, it resembles it. It looks like it. That's what conforming means. And if you're in high school, I mean, at least when I was in high school, the big thing was to be a nonconformist. Well, I'm not like everybody else. I'm unique. And then that unique crowd looks so much like each other that... They just conform to their own thing, but they're the nonconformists, right? So, and, but, but that's what everybody desires to be, the desire to be unique. And that desire to be unique tends to drive people to conforming to something else uh, that they deem acceptable. But the Lord tells us, and he warns us in his word, that we need to not be conformed to the world. But rather, we should be made to resemble something else. And that's what we're going to see tonight. How do we do that? How do we beware? How do we not be conformed to the world like God's word tells us to do? Well, the mind is the key ingredient. Notice, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're to avoid conforming to the world, you have to renew your mind. And we'll see more in later weeks what exactly that means. But, but if you're going to renew your mind, what do we renew our mind with? Well, the obvious answer, without much study, is Christ. The mind of Christ, i.e. the Bible, the Scripture, 
And we'll study that more in weeks to come, like I said. The opposite of the world system is the Word of God, and that's hence your title for the message tonight, The World Versus the Word, okay? So I want you to see this key truth that I put on your study sheet. Key truth number one, you can only be conformed to one of two things, according to God's Word. The world or His Word. According to Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, you can only be conformed to one of two things. The world or the word. Because you can either be conformed to the world or you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, i.e. be conformed to God's word. That's the idea. That's the premise of tonight's study and really this entire series. You will either, I 100% guarantee that each and every one of you, tomorrow, the next five years, the next 20 years, what have you, you will be conformed to one of two things, either this world that we live in or God's word. And it's completely and entirely up to you. There's no third option. There's no in-between. You can only be conformed to one of two things. As we saw, the mind is critical to all of this. And so key truth number two, before we get into the bulk of the study, actions follow thoughts. Actions follow thoughts. How you think determines how you act or what you do. So think about it. This, this is logical. Biologically, it makes sense. Your brain must think of an action and command the body to do it before it can physically perform that action, right? Logically, that makes sense. But then practically even, before you do something, before you act on something, you typically make a decision which occurs in your brain because you're thinking about it with your mind, right? Even something that you're like, well, I don't even think about doing that anymore. Well, yeah, because you used to. <laughs> you, you thought about it once, and then you do it so routine, routinely and repetitively, you don't even think about doing it now, and you just do it. Well, that's because you thought about it at one point, though. You think before you act, and therefore your actions follow your thoughts. And so that's important for tonight, because what I want you to realize is that conforming to the world starts by thinking like it. It doesn't start by just acting like the world. Like we said last week, what's up with those kids who go to church their entire childhood, and all through middle school, and all through high school youth group, and then off to college, and one year later, they're, they're drinking and partying, and, and, and just crazy. Wow, it looks like their actions just flipped. No, 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 they started thinking like the world a while ago. But when they got out under the umbrella of their mom and dad's house, and of their church, that's when their actions followed their thoughts. Actions follow thoughts. Once your mind resembles that of the world, you will act just like the world. And how we combat this is by thinking like Christ and thereby acting like Christ. This is, this is simple. We're not even into the Bible study yet. This is just logic. Actions follow thoughts. What you think about is what you will do. Now, the, matter, the, the amount of time between point A and point B, it, that varies. But your actions will invariably follow your thoughts. So tonight what I want to do is break down what the world is biblically and practically and their tactics. And so if we understand how the world thinks and operates, well, then we can be aware of its devices that it's trying to use to brainwash you. That's what we're going to see tonight, okay? So number one, let's look at the biblical description of the world. The biblical description of the world. We saw this a bit last week, so we won't belabor it. We'll, we'll, we'll go through this pretty quickly. But if you weren't here last week, pay attention. Because the Bible defines what the world is. And now notice, again, we're not talking about your friend who isn't saved necessarily. 
We're not talking about an individual person who lives in the world. We're talking about this world system, the course of this world the Bible refers to. The world, biblically, letter A, is contrary to God. It's contrary to God. Everything about this world system is contrary. It is opposite to God. John chapter 7 and verse 7, Jesus speaking says, The world cannot hate you, but it me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. So the first characteristic of the world is that it hates God. Well, that's not good. <laughs> it hates God, and Jesus says the works of the world are evil. Okay? 1 Corinthians 3.19 the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Okay? The wisdom, the knowledge, the intellect that the world thinks that it has is the opposite of God's. And therefore, God deems it foolish. The wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. James 4.4, 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Again, not an individual person that we're referring to. The Bible is defining the world as a whole, the world's system. And since the world is contrary to God, and the world hates Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ defines the works of the world as wicked, and since the wisdom of the world is foolishness, therefore, James 4.4, 4, whoever will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We, shouldn't, we, we can't take this lightly, guys. These are harsh accusations that the Bible is making about this world and this world's system. Galatians 1.4, just for the cherry on top. Jesus died and he gave himself for our sins. Look at the verse that he might deliver us from this present evil world. This present evil world is why Christ died for you, to deliver you from it. This world is evil, so it should not surprise you when next week we start to look at the tactics of this world using things like social media to brainwash you. The reason I didn't just start week one with why Twitter is trying to, to brainwash you is because we needed to set this up so that you can see biblically how the enemy works. He's subtle. He wants to make you think that he's not working against you. This week, we see how the world works. The world is evil. And when you see this biblically, when we get to next week, it should not surprise you that the world will use the things that have crept into your life unawares, that you've become... I don't want to say addicted to. Certainly, you're not addicted to it. But it will use these things that you would rather not live without to sway your opinion or belief towards that of the people who run that thing. It, it, it shouldn't surprise you once we get through tonight. Because the world is contrary to God. And letter B, not only is it contrary to God, but it is controlled by Satan. It's controlled by Satan. If it wasn't logically obvious to you, well, let's see it biblically. The world is completely ran and controlled by the devil. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we saw this last week, defines Satan as the small g God of this world. Small g means he's not the true God, right? But he is the small g God, the ruler, the king of this world, and he's blinding the minds of them which don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. He's literally blinding the eyes, brainwashing the lost so that they can't be saved. Hiding the light of the gospel from them because he's the God of this world. Side note, 
take this for what it's worth. It's worth exactly as much as you paid for admission tonight. But that's why I never get too bent out of shape about politics and who's running the country. You can, I mean, seriously, be an informed voter, do all that stuff. But seriously, guys, the small g God of this world is running this world. Do you really think a true Bible-believing Christian is ever going to run the country that runs the free world in 2019? You just don't need to get that bent out of shape about it. There is a God of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened. What's that mean? Quickened? Made alive. Good job. You hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. There it is. When you weren't saved, you walked according to the course of this world, the enemy of the Christian. According to who? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Well, that's the devil. He's the small g God of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's in charge of the course of this world. And Revelation 12, verse 9, looking at the end of the book, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Which deceiveth the whole world. Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He rules it, he controls it, and he is deceiving it. So don't be surprised when you disagree with this world's system and they think you're crazy because he has blinded their eyes to the light of the glorious gospel of Christ and he is deceiving them and he will to the bitter end. Revelation 12. You have any question about whether or not the world is good anymore? Because <laughs> according to the word of God, it is evil, it is foolish, it is God's enemy and it is controlled and deceived by Satan himself. So why would anyone listen to it? Well, don't forget the enemy's number one strategy, subtlety. You don't know you're being controlled. <laughs> That's the point. He's subtle. So number two. Okay, so, so we talked about the, the biblical definition or, or description of the world. Let, now let's look at the practical temptations of the world. The practical temptations of the world. Do you guys remember 1 John 2.15 last week? I want to review that because really that's going to be the second half of our message tonight. 1 John 2.15 through 17. Love not the world. Well, we just took time describing and defining biblically. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 15 is such a deep verse that we don't even have time to explain it entirely. But man, put that in your back pocket. Go home tonight and think about what that verse says. If any man love the world, not the people, the world, the system, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world. Okay, here's the things of the world. We saw this last week. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's how Eve stumbled, remember? And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So let's look back at Genesis 3 really quick, when Eve fell, and identify those three things when she fell. When the woman saw, and by the way, this is after verses 1 through 5, when Satan is working in all subtly and slyly like a slithery little snake. You guys remember that video? Anyway, sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be that guy, but that is a funny video. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, what's that? Lust of the flesh, good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, good. And a tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. He got her with all three. 
Those are the things that are in the world. That's what the world is trying to brainwash you with. Did you know? We're going to look at this very quickly because we don't have time to camp out here. Did you know that Satan tried to do the same exact thing, the same three-card-handed poker hand to Jesus Christ when he was on the earth? Did you know that? Look at Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to read through these verses quickly, but I want you to see if you can see the three times that Satan tempts Christ and then try to identify which one of those he uses. Check it out. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Have you ever eaten for, or not eaten for 40 days? I haven't. I would be hungry. Jesus was hungry, showing his, his uh, uh, the, the human nature. And when the tempter came to him, that's the devil, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Temptation number one. Number two, verse five, Then the devil taketh him up unto the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then temptation number three, verse eight, Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him, key word, emphasis, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him and behold angels came and ministered unto him. Okay, did you catch him? Stones to bread, lust of the flesh. He was tempting his flesh. Jump from the temple that was the pride of life. You might have got stumpled, stumped on that one. And here, here's the reason it's the pride of life. He took him up to the top of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off and prove it because your angels are going to come get you just like the king that you are. Proving who he was, that he's a somebody. That's the pride of life. And then the next one, he showed him, he showed him, that was your key word, lust of the eyes, all the kingdoms of the world, and said, you can have these if you'll just worship me. That was the same three things he did to Eve and he did them to Jesus, but Jesus didn't stumble. He didn't sin. Because now that we see Satan's hand, recognizing the moves is only half the battle. You got to know how to defend and strike back. That's the other half. You know what I mean? I, I could read a lot of books about jujitsu, and then if I get into the ring, I'm still going to die because I don't know how to do any of those moves or to defend them. You can know the moves. That's half the battle. The other half is knowing how to defend and how to strike back. By the way, how did Jesus defend and strike back in all three instances? Anybody? Scripture. Word of God. That's how you defend against the advances, uh, the temptation of the enemy, by the way. So whatever sin that Satan has a stronghold in your life that you just can't seem to beat, whatever that might be, you should memorize at least three verses, at least three scriptures, because the devil comes three times to Jesus. I'm not saying you should stop at three. But if you're telling me, man, Kale, I really want to beat this porn thing. I've been trying for years and I can't stop. And I say, what are your three verses? And you can't name one verse? I, I don't know if you really want to quit, man. I'm just saying. Because we battle temptation with the word of God. That's how Christ did. Okay, moving on. Let's break down those three things. 
Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. This is how the world works. It's how it wants to brainwash you. And this will be critical, understanding this, when we get to next week, okay? The lust of the flesh. It's the desire to feel. The desire to feel. This one's easy because there's countless verses in the Bible about the flesh. I will spare you. We won't see every single one of them. Practically, it's obvious. The flesh feels. It's the thing on your body that feels things, right? It's the flesh. It's, it, I don't even need to give you many verses about that. The, the lust of the flesh is the desire to feel. Well, how does the world use that today? I, I have that under each of these three points. How does the world use this today? Because I don't want this just to be some theological study. I want it to hit home so you can see how the world is targeting you through these tactics that Satan used against Jesus 2,000 years ago, and that he used against Eve over 6,000 years ago. He's using the same things against you. How does he do those today? Well, the, your key word for desire to feel is it's pleasure. Pleasure. Seeking pleasure. Now, there's the obvious ones like physical temptation, physical intimacy, sexual promiscuity, or, or pornography, something like that. Obviously, that's the desire to feel, and that's going to give you Pleasure, that's going to give you satisfaction. We, we could go into the whole realm. I, I'm, not, I'm not a scientist, but there's studies done about dopamine, the chemical in your brain that's released during those different acts is the same thing that happens when you're doing drugs, certain drugs. I certainly don't want to generalize because, again, I'm not a scientist. But the same thing is stimulated in your brain when you are doing these things that give you pleasure. Substances. They're used for pleasure and relief and for escape. Drugs, alcohol, tobacco, vaping. All things that are done to make you what? Feel good. All to make you feel, oh, well, vaping doesn't make you high. I didn't say it did. I said it makes you feel good, right? Seeking pleasure, the desire to feel. That's the lust of the flesh. How about entertainment? How about things that aren't illegal to do when you're under 18? How about that? Things that make you feel good. TV, media, internet, social media, movies. All things that give us pleasure, the desire to feel something. Lust of the flesh. I'm not saying all TV and movies are bad. It's pretty obvious which ones are. The ones that give us that pleasure. The flesh is one part of your three-part being. You're, you have the flesh, your soul, and your spirit, right? Did you know that your flesh is constantly warring against the other two parts of you every day to be in control of your life? Check this out. It wars against the spirit, Galatians 5. This is a good memory verse, verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Why? For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary. Oh, we talked about something being contrary. It was the world and God. The flesh is contrary to the spirit. They're contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. The flesh is warring against the spirit. And did you know that the lust of the flesh wars against your soul? 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against your soul. Did you know that giving into the lusts of the flesh and the desire to feel and all those things that we seek for pleasure corrupt your soul? Man, they get at your very being, the essence of who you are. That's what the world wants to do. 
Well, what do you do about that? Well, we're, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about practically what to do. But in short, the answer is always the word of God. It's always the word of God. Uh, Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. It, it's, it seems really simple. It's, it's not so simple when you're trying to do it on a daily basis. So we'll see that in weeks to come. But I don't want to just give you all this negative and then not give you any answer about, well, what do I do about that? Well, you got to wait seven days. No, it's the word of God. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make provision for the flesh. We'll get more into the solution in later weeks. But for now, just understand the answer to avoiding these temptations of the world is the word. That's the whole point of this message, the word versus the world, right? Letter B, the lust of the eyes is the desire to have. It's the desire to have. Well, why is that? Well, because coveting, you guys know what covet means? When, when you desire something that you don't have, well, that starts by seeing. Coveting starts, it's always linked to seeing first. I'll give you one example in the scripture. In Joshua chapter 7, do you guys remember when we were studying Joshua and we saw the sin of Achan? When they went in and destroyed Jericho, God said, okay, you're going to destroy Jericho, but I don't want you to take any of the spoils. That's all accursed. Don't do that. It's not going to be good if you do that. Well, this guy Achan did do that. And the results were bad, like God said. Check this out, Joshua 7.20. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw, lust of the eyes, among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Notice the process. I, I think I have this on your study sheet. He saw, and then he coveted, and then he sinned. See, covet, sin. That's the process. The lust of the eyes, the desire to have. See, covet, sin. That's what happens. How does the world use this today, covetousness? Well, it's pretty easy to spot because we all act this way occasionally. We all are jealous of things we don't have and we want them, and that's pretty easy. But how does the world capitalize on that in 2019? Well, check this out. I think your keyword, so your keyword for lust of the flesh was pleasure. The keyword for lust of the eyes is entitlement. That's what, that's what I see in today's day and age, entitlement. It's, it's that mentality of I gotta have the newest and best and most, right? This me first mentality because the newest iphone comes out and suddenly yours isn't good enough right i see it i covet it i want to have it the newest video game comes out and you have to have it today why i don't know it's just how this works we camp out overnight for video game releases right it's entitlement it's the lust of the eyes it's the desire to have i need to have it i want to have it man this is crazy. It's, it seems like when you go see a movie in the theaters, a couple weeks later, you can have it on Blu-ray or stream it on Netflix. When I was a kid, when you saw a movie in the theater, it was like two solid years before it was on VHS. You like forgot that movie existed. And you're like, oh, we should buy that. You know, <laughs> it's like, but now, man, just, just a short few years later, everything is now, now, now. I got to have it. I got to want it. I need it. Man, Amazon Prime, two-day shipping. I can literally have anything in the world in two days. What else harbors this entitlement that we all have more than that? I see it. I covet it, and then I act. You could word it this way. See, think, act. That's the next one on your sheet. It's the same thing. 
I see, I think, I act. What do I do about that? Oh man, let me give you a verse. This is really, I like this verse. Most of the time, teenage boys memorize this one so that they don't look at bad things on the internet, but I think it's even deeper than that. Look at Job 31.1. Job says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Yes, of course, he's talking about women and lusting after women, but, but, but notice, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? Lust of the flesh is coupled with the lust of the eyes here. He sees and then he acts. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a covenant with my eyes to not look at that stuff. Then I don't have to think about stu that stuff. See, see that? that? That's the link between the eyes and the thinking. We see and then we think and then we act. Oh man, are you guys starting to put it together? If you control what you see, you control what you think, which trickles down to how you act. You see that? Well, that's how you can rectify your actions. But don't you know the enemy knows that's how they can control your actions? That's how they can control your thoughts? The key is they get you to see, and we're going to see this next week very practically. They get you to see what they want you to see enough times that you begin to think differently. And then eventually, the long game, you act differently. See, think, act. That's the definition of brainwashing, is it not? That's what we talked about last week. Letter C, the pride of life. This is the desire to know. The desire to know. We saw Eve fall to this in Genesis 3, 6. Tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. You know, man, we want to know everything. We, we lust after knowledge, especially during this day and age with technology and the information and everything that we have at our fingertips all the time right now. We, we lust after more knowledge. I could ask you the most trivial of questions, and you know what you're going to do? Uh, like if I just said, what year was so-and-so born? Well, I'm just, I'll Google it, and I'll see what year they're born. We can know anything, and we desire to know. We'll check out Psalm 73, verse 6. Pride of life, remember, is what we're talking about. The desire to know. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth, ugh, covereth them as a garment. Skip down to verse 11. Psalm 73. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Their pride compasseth them. And they want, does God even know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? That's what the ungodly say. How does the world use this today? Well, knowledge is ever more available through the internet, like we saw. But you know what? It even goes, it goes way back to this religion called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was just this religion of knowing, desiring to basically worship knowledge. And that's what we see today, is a worship of knowledge. And this worship of information and knowledge, it leads to things like relativism. Not, not believing that there's any absolute truth. All truth is relative, because I know more than you do, so my truth is relative to me, blah, 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 blah. That's what people who think too much not that you could ever think too much, but it's people who get all this information and all they ever do is think, but they never put it into action. Everything's relative. It leads to relativism. No absolute truth, no absolute ethics, no absolute morality. That leads to issues with authority. We did an authority series a couple months ago. 
Because if all truth is relative and I know more than you do, well, then who are you to tell me what to do? Who is my authority? What is authority? There's no absolute authority. See that? That leads to anarchy. And you can look up these words later. That leads to fatalism. And eventually it leads to nihilism. There's no point to anything. Man, that's what a worship of knowledge will get you if you follow the logical end. When you make yourself the final authority because you worship knowledge and you think you've got all the knowledge, then the world must bow to you. That's the pride of life. It's the desire to know. Satan used it against Eve and the world uses it against you today. You know more than they do. The internet knows more than your pastor. Whatever, whatever you want to plug in the blanks. It's the desire to know. So, here's what I want to end you tonight end with you tonight. After seeing all these things and looking at maybe the practical side of the things that are in the world, what's your litmus test say? Don't say anything out loud. Would you say that you've begun to be conformed to the world? Does your life display some of the things that we just talked about? Has your thinking begun to resemble that of the world's thinking? Because if it has, you are beginning or have become conformed to this world. And that's the opposite of what Christ wants in you. He doesn't want you to be conformed to this world. He wants you to be conformed to his word. And the two are contrary to the other. The good news is that it's not too late for you. If you're in the deep end or if you've just begun to dip your toe in the water of thinking like the world, you can stop and be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God right now. You absolutely can. But you can't do that unless you're aware of it. I'm, I'm going to tell you guys personal stories next week that, that I realized what the enemy was trying to infiltrate in my life a couple years ago. And until I was aware of it, I didn't even realize that I needed to combat it. But if, if the word of God has made you aware of some things in your life that you're allowing in willingly, that are starting to influence and impact your thinking, guys, actions follow thoughts. Actions follow thoughts. We see, we think, we act. We got to do something about it, or before you know it, you're going to look just like the world. I want to leave you with Romans 12, 2 again. Think about this verse. I want you to think about it until we come back next week and look more at it. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And next week, when We'll study this more, but we're going we're gonna to get very practical next week, and we're going to see how the world will use something as innocent, as seemingly innocent as social media to influence your thoughts and actions 24-7. Because I want you guys to be aware of what the enemy is trying to do in your life and how it's trying to get you to think differently. Because that teenager, by definition, is brainwashing. It's brainwashing. And we just need to be aware of what the enemy is doing so that we can combat it with the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I come to you tonight, and uh, Lord, I, I thank you for your word. It's not always easy to hear what your word has to say. But Father, I hope that someone in here tonight, I hope that everyone in here tonight heard your word and understood that we don't say it to simply make them feel bad. We, we read and we study your word so that we can see what in our lives falls short of the glory of God, and we can give it to you so that we can surrender our, it to you and Use your word to conform us to the image of your son and make us more like you. Father, I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't have a relationship with you, that they would just give their lives to you. It's 
really simple. The word, your word tells us that all they have to do is confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead and, and thou shalt be saved. That's all it takes to have a relationship with you and to, to know that when we die someday, we'll have a home forever in heaven with you. But Lord, for the majority of the kids in here, I know that they know you as their savior, but Lord, what I fear, what I fear is this ever-present and wicked world that we live in is slowly but surely working their way subtly into their minds and, and, and working to sway their and to influence their thoughts to look more like the world so that one day all of a sudden their actions will change. It'll seem like it came out of nowhere, but really the world has been influencing their thought pattern for years to make it look more like them instead of you and your word. Father, I, I pray for these Christian teenagers, Lord, that they'll see it, that they'll be aware of it, and that they'll stand and say no more. I'm not letting the world, I'm not letting the enemy infiltrate my thoughts and brainwash me anymore. I'm taking a stand. I'm, I'm gonna renew my mind. I'm gonna transform myself by renewing my mind in the word of God. And we'll see more of how to do that in the next couple of weeks. We love you, Lord. I pray that you would be praised during this last song that we sing. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name that I pray, amen.